Idea Quest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to a new season of the Quest Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Price for this episode. Paul is the CEO and founder of a new investment firm called Haven Green Investment Management. Haven Green is an outsourced distribution function that specialises in the marketing of investment funds with a sustainability focus. So our discussion covers both topics of outsourced distribution functions and also sustainability and his team's passion for identifying and marketing investment funds that can do better. But before all that, we begin our discussion by chatting about Paul's experience as a business owner. He was an executive in a large international financial services group for a number of years. So this is quite a shift for him. It's very interesting to get his take on his new life. If you like the episode, please do hit like and subscribe, share with your friends. And with that, let's get on with the show. The Equest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the Equest Podcast. Cheers, Danny. Appreciate Great to it. have you here. Paul is the CEO and founder of a new Mifid firm called Haven Green. Tell us a little bit about Haven Green. Yeah, Haven Green is an idea that uh, I've been playing out for uh, a number of years in my head really focusing on a belief that the, the market was going to bifurcate into the different, different functions that are within an investment management business. And one of those is the marketing, client servicing and sales. And we think that this, as much as you outsource your administrative function, people would eventually do that. However, we put a twist on it. You know, we, I developed myself a passion for the whole area of sustainability and impact investing in the last number of years and understanding the absolute need for this. And I thought there was a need for a firm that expressed that and helped boutiques at the early stages who normally struggle to actually build their businesses or get their messaging fixed uh, for the, uh, the buyer behavior that's out there. And we would create an outsourced um, department that could actually do that for them. And that's effectively what Haven Green turned out to be, connecting asset owners with uh, smart boutiques in the investment management business that ordinarily would not get to have that audience uh, looking at them. So before we get into Haven Green, just to, to cast back your professional in the financial service industry for a number of years, you're top of the tree in a big international financial services organization, and you decide to jack it all in and do your own thing. Yeah. What on earth were you thinking? Yes, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and then quite promptly after that, uh, then we had the whole pandemic hit. And uh, so, yeah, so it created, a, uh, it created an interesting uh, point of inflection. I suppose after 35 years of my professional career, I thought that with where I, from an age profile where I'm at, uh, that uh, I really wanted to make a difference with the remaining part of uh, the time that I had to uh, work within the industry. And I felt it had to be centered around sustainability impact. It's driven by being a dad and kind of wanting to actually ensure that we hand back, you know, a, a better outcome for my children, my grandchildren, and, you know, future generations for the planet. So it, it really was driven by that. And so very altruistic from my perspective. However, I also believe that you have to do these in a practical way. It has to be done in a way where, you know, that it is commercial and not just, you know, something that's very philanthropic. And, and uh, that's what was the idea behind trying to create a Haven Green wrapper around this. Yeah, I had a fantastic career from my perspective, enjoyed it thoroughly, traveled extensively. But now is a chance to do this in a very bespoke and individual fashion, which I am very much looking forward to. Are you enjoying being a business owner? I am enjoying it, yes. Obviously, there are entirely different dynamics when you don't have a balance sheet behind you. And as you uh, build a business out, you know, the, uh, the sleep well factor is something that you actually become more appreciative of. 
However, you know, the, you know, the tough times in it, I think, are compensated by those high moments when things start to go right. And, you know, we get a confluence of events of something that you expected would happen and suddenly it does. And, you know, that creates a great excitement and a buzz around the team. And, like, we have a team that stretches from Australia to Japan to Latin America into the European market and, and then into, obviously, our head office based out of here, out of Dublin. And, you know, seeing that dynamic working and working across a multiplicity of geographies is actually uh, really heartening from our perspective. And I think quite exciting for uh, where the future is in terms of uh, the conscientious buyer behavior that we think is going to be happening more and more. I'm really interested in the, the two sort of prongs to the business. One is the outsourced distribution function and the second is the sustainability focus. So let's yeah. start with the second, the sustainability yeah. focus. What's your sense for where the market is at in terms of sustainability? It's, it's obviously being a kind of a buzzword, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. Is, it, is it something that you're seeing tons of traction in? Is it still a novelty? Yeah, I think there's, a, there's lots of news about it, and I would, uh, that, that is for sure. But really trying to find innovative investment management offerings that actually have real-world application and commercial reality behind them, as in able to deliver returns that will stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with those who actually don't have that sustainability function is really important. And that's a really important imperative to have in the business. So yes, I think there's a lot of talk about it. Finding the managers in this space, I think, is a, is, is a challenge. Undoubtedly, right now, we're seeing a lot of money move to funds that ostensibly are branded uh, in the sustainability and impact space. I do think that there is going to be some retrenchment on those, and we've seen a little bit of with the Article 9 to Article 8 move across the industry. And I think that retrenchment will continue for uh, as people understand the higher standard that one must be held accountable to if you're an Article 9 fund, what you have to do to be an Article 8 fund in terms of you know, your uh, uh, sustainability credentials. And, and I think that that's realism, or an injection of realism that is, I think is healthy on the market itself. So today my view is a lot of noise about it. Definitely there's a lot of discussions around the allocation. I think the, the real surge is not yet upon us. And I think it has been somewhat stalled by you know, geopolitical events in terms of the war in Ukraine. It's been stalled by, uh, somewhat by the pandemic. But in some ways, all of these things eventually put us all in a thought pattern or, or a trajectory that says, this isn't going to be important on a go forward. In energy independence, as an example, at a national state level, is going to become a critical part of all government's thinkings. And I think actually how you build that infrastructure can only come through the use of the capital markets and through the use of long-term investors and, and their commitment uh, to investing for you know, returns for shareholders and for pensioners in the long term. And I think harnessing that is actually... Uh, a good example of when the, the change that I think is actually going to drive some of the volume into the market. Mm. I don't know, I saw in your, a blog post on your website and you used the phrase carbon jargon, which I think is a, a good way of summing up the, the noise around, but not necessarily, yeah. not necessarily followed through with the, with the impact that some of the firms kind of claim to have. So just so people know, I guess Haven Green works with a small number of investment managers that are focused on sustainability. And uh, how do you sift through them when you look at a potential manager to work with? And we know, you know, SFDR and, and 
Article nine, 8 and 9, as you mentioned. But how do you kind of, what's the flags that you look out for? What, what is it that you are on the alert for as you kind of sift through whether a manager yeah. is what they say they are? So, yeah, so similar to going back to your, the previous comment, the first thing we do is, independent of the sustainability and impact credentials of the managers, is assess them as an investment management firm. We're looking at their philosophy, their process, the portfolio construction and risk, the people who are involved in the business itself and the outcomes that have come and that they have been able to achieve in terms of performance. What you're looking for is robustness at this stage and repeatability. So that's the first screen that, and most important screen. We call that our CIO screen of the managers themselves. The next is then to get a deeper dive on the sustainability and impact side. Are you, in your view, finished on your journey? Are you in the transitionary phase? And by the way, we actually are very much a, a, a house that would look for managers who believe in transition. We don't think there is just one big bang solution. Everything changes tomorrow. I think it would be a mistake for that to be something we would promote. Uh, so then we look for that sustainability and impact credentials. What is the USP? Are you doing it better than anybody else? Is it something that the market will actually feel that there is a need for? And then you get on to the due diligence questionnaires, which are the standard uh, checkout of the infrastructure of the manager and ensuring that that's in place. And this is all for us to validate internally for ourselves, that we're working with a manager we could be proud of to support and promote out in, a, in the market outside and to speak about and have as one of our, one of our uh, managers that represents what we want to be seen for as standing for in the market. And as uh, the team that you have here, being very experienced financial services professionals, I guess, are, are used to that sifting through of potential investment managers and looking for those that have delivered performance in the past and have something that uh, will work into the future. Is there anything that, or the kinds of things that you might see in terms of the sustainability side that might be a flag for you, you'd say, maybe that's not for us, or, the, or alternatively, the kinds of stuff you'd see, say, yeah, that's really where we want to be. Yeah, so you see a lot of products with 15 and 20 year track records today in the market. And you know, they've come from a historic position. Uh, I would say I would be highly skeptical that they were all sustainability and impact focused for the entire tenure of that track record. So uh, from my, our perspective, one of the most important things is to see what effectively are you d doing differently since you changed this projection of your image as a, as a firm, uh, whether it's changing the branding of your product or, or the naming convention of your product are you decided that this product now you're going to apply to make it an Article 9 or an Article 8? What has fundamentally changed from what you've done in the past? Because the reality of it is, is there, there are very few of these products out there that were already deeply rooted in credentials uh, with a, from a credential perspective in the sustainability and impact space. So yes, yeah, so we would look for that uh, at first uh, so that this is look, very important that this this change that we're hopefully going to be part of it, like, you know, that we want to be a catalyst, part of a catalyst for, is, is something that's meaningful. And that it's not, you know, as some people have, like, you know, you referred to it earlier, carbon jargon or, or like talking about, like, I'm, I'm a low carbon product, like, you know, and, you know, nothing different has happened. It just happens to be that's the way you position yourself against the index. And what is the further work that you've done beyond that that actually ensures that that is part of, you know, is that an accidental place you found yourself? as a result of the mandate you have, or is that a conscientious place that you found yourself in? And if it is conscientious, what is your process 
for continuing to protect that conscientious position that you have within your portfolio. And what are the kinds of products and strategies that you're working with at the moment or are kind of in the pipeline? What, what is it that yeah. these are firms are investing in or these funds are investing in? Yeah, so in? When, the exciting products that we find out there, like some of them are come from, you know, what I would say is the very historic part of the market. So bottom-up stock picking shops that go out, do fundamental research and equities. We believe that that is one of the most powerful tools to deliver sustainability and impact in the equity space. And the rationale for that is because you're actually speaking directly to companies. You have the opportunity to influence com companies' behaviors. If you're speaking to a fossil fuel company, you should ask about stranded assets. You should ask about their net zero targets. You should indicate to them what your position is around the net zero targets relative to the competitors that you're also talking to in the fossil fuel space. And I think that that's a really powerful your tool that we have within the investment management industry. So as a result of which, we have one particular manager we work with in the global value space. And when we're speaking with them, we're talking to them about how they interrogate their managers. And that's what got us to a, a, a position of comfort with them because value would traditionally have not been seen as a, a, an area where you could actually take it to a point where there is an element of sustainability our focus on environmental or governmental or our governance issues or social issues. But however, when you are a bottom-up stock picker, you have that power. And I think that that is really important. The second area on the equity side that we thought could work here is using the vast array of technology that's around there to work on quantitative tools and focusing on how, from a quantitative perspective, one can actually assess the available market opportunity. So if you look at an index, how do you optimize an index? from the point of view of resource efficiency, waste, water, carbon, and do that in a clever way, reconstructing a portfolio that still gives you your exposure from an indexation perspective, but potentially has the ability also to give you alpha, but fundamentally the same portfolios side by side, one is giving you an efficiency that cannot be delivered by a straight passive approach to that. So again, using the technology that's available that perhaps wasn't available 10, 15 years ago to do that. And then the whole area of focusing in on the thematics of the market. How do you actually reflect renewable energy in a portfolio? How do you look at infrastructure in a sustainable way? How do you think about water usage? And to my mind, sustainable thematics is the way that we're going to see that on a pillar by pillar basis. So trying to focus on those areas on the equity side has been an extremely exciting journey for us and trying to find managers. and. The one thing that is clear in, in that process is managers who are committed to change and committed to do radical change as we have had with our, you know, the partners on the value side are the managers who are doing, prospecting using new quantitative methods are those who are building on the thematic, the pillar thematic approach, sustainable thematics. They're not as common as one would expect in the market. However, one would hope if these are successful and peers like them are successful, that it will begin to breed a new generation of managers who see this as an appropriate way to actually use the tools and the intelligence that they have in terms of delivering better outcomes, in terms of planetary outcomes, while at the same time not sacrificing returns for pensioners who ultimately, in a lot of circumstances, are the savers, uh, individual savers that are behind these pools of assets. It sounds like a very powerful proposition when it's both rigorous investment approach with the investment performance allied to sustainability and an approach that's better for the planet and for the future. Yes. And I know I did a little bit of work with the team here when we had to bring to a close a very passionate discussion about whether investing in a concrete 
production company that was making improvements was a, a better, for want of a better word, or sustainable or a greener investment than investing in, say, a green tech firm. When, when we were here, we did close that out to, to chat about regulatory and compliance. Now, not regulatory and compliance isn't something to get excited yeah. about, but you could really feel the passion amongst the team when they were talking about subjects like this. It felt like it mattered. Absolutely. And that goes back to the recruitment process that we've undertaken. Look, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this because I've made a very distinct decision of what, what I want the next uh, 10 years to look like from my perspective, from a career perspective and bringing the skills that I have on it. I've just looked for like-minded people across the team, those who actually have a passion for this area, who have a commitment. And yes, our debates are very passionate on this. And we have a broad church of thinking. You know, we, we have in some instances managers who are in the transitionary phase. We have in some instances managers who are deep, deep in uh, green impact. And you come at those from different uh, angles as a group. And, you know, and some people will have a preference for the deeper green impact. Others will believe that the transitionary phase is something we have to be able to promote because that is where we will get, we will take uh, companies, underlying companies, on the journey with us. And I think that that's extremely important. So yeah, I like the fact that we have a bunch of people who are entirely different. So we don't have, we have a group think in terms of we all care about sustainability and impact. We do not have a group think in terms of the implementation of it. Uh, that's why those debates can get quite passionate, yeah, and, yeah. which I think is a great thing to see on, on any team. Uh, it, absolutely. It was very interesting. Uh, when you think about the way that the legislation is trying to support this, obviously at European level, you've got the European Green Agenda, and here, particularly NASA Management, we have SF, Dior, um, and it's, it's, it's something that sets out like a lot of initiatives as a good idea, but as you try and wade through and add detail to it and you try and distinguish how do I know that somebody's not greenwashing here, it gets uh, quite complicated and convoluted and runs the danger of being a growth initiative for the lawyers. Now, I'm all for growth initiatives for lawyers, but, but what's your sense for that? Like, will it, will it work? Is it too complicated? Is it being over-engineered? Or how do you prevent greenwashing, I guess? Yeah, I, so ironically, from a, uh, from a practitioner's perspective, I actually am not resistant at all to this the more legislatively driven approach. I think uh, the market to its own devices wasn't getting there. So I think it is no harm that we actually have guardrails as to what is an appropriate uh, mechanism to do, whether that's this Article 8 and Article 9. Having said that, I think there will be compromises around this, and I think there has to be compromises from where it is today, and I think we will learn. I think the regulatory uh, uh, oversight will also learn as to what can work and what can't work. Ultimately, if both parties are coming to it, that we want to get to a solution that actually does make a difference, as distinct from just satisfying rules, uh, if it comes down to that there are rigid rules and if you satisfy within those rules, that's enough. I don't think that's enough is a good answer. I think it has to be that there is a fluidity around this because we will not get the answer right the first time. But I think the step towards what we're doing in SFDR and the initiatives around that and the application of it, I feel are taking us in the right direction. I think we are a long way from the conclusion of where this is going to settle. But it, I think we had to have a, uh, the impetus of the push uh, to come from, from the regulatory environment yeah. on that. And it feels like the market is also starting to push there with the, you know, the heightened need for, for national energy security. That feels yes. like it's going to be a huge driver for this, that, yeah. that it's not taken for granted now, it's appreciated more by everybody as to yeah. how important it is. So and it's I think going that, to change things, isn't it? I think the whole, I'd say just even take that point, that, and that's like a, 
a, a change that people aren't really thinking about how they factor into portfolios. Energy production at a country level, even across the European Union, until we get to a full supergrid structure, is going to become a national security asset issue. It is going to be something that governments and regions are going to protect because it is what is going to keep the lights on, it's what's going to keep the citizens happy. And I think actually the concept that singular managers are going to be able to get you ac access to all these national security assets around the world, in my view, is a fallacy. I don't think, no matter how big the firm is, given the scale of these projects, it's incredibly difficult for you to raise enough in a singular fund that will get you exposure on a pan-European basis from a geographic perspective across Asia, across Latin America, and across the multifaceted areas of renewables that you could go from, like whether it's wind or solar or uh, geothermal or what, trying to do that through one medium, in my view, is going to be extremely different. So there is going to be a compromise from the industry's perspective in, real, in the realization that a different way of approaching dealing with renewables and how you deal with it in particularly the private market space is going to be is going to be very important. I think we're going to see the growth of, you know, single use funds. Maybe they're focused just on anaerobic digestion. Are you going to see the, the growth of multi-manager approaches to renewable energy and renewable assets and building that out? And again, on the listed side, I think you're going to see the growth, again back to my earlier point of the sustainable thematics, focused on renewables, focused on transition, energy transition, and focused on water. Because we tend to think about it all in terms of renewables and, and uh, how we keep power going. The reality of it is, is the, like, you know, the, the actual essence of life is actually protecting our water supplies and the efficacy of those. And that's actually going to be another critical infrastructural demand right through the emerging markets and even you know, throughout uh, developed markets as well. So, so I think we have the pillars that are going to be created as a result of whether it's geopolitical events or just heightened awareness and thinking about these areas, I think are going to create sort of the new breed of asset management firms that actually think like, you know, are deliver solutions, holistic solutions that are better served for the future world we want to live in rather than the past world we have. I know we're starting to run out of time. I did want to touch on the, the kind of distribution, the outsource distribution side of the business. As you mentioned, you know, funds always delegate to investment managers and delegate to fund administrators those tasks. Why hasn't delegation of kind of outsourced distribution functions happened before? It seems a very yeah. obvious way to go. I think it has happened insofar as there's a third party marketing industry, I think of, of which there's some 200 of those across Europe alone. However, in, in the vast majority of cases, they haven't been operating through regulated structures. And I think that that's going to be the change. I think the reality of it is the regulatory environments that we have in, in take just the European market itself gives us the mechanism for actually deliverance of this in a regulated company, which is effectively what we have uh, done with the, uh, the Irish regulator in, in the setup of Haven Green Investment Management. And I think that that's just going to be the, the underlying trend. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why larger firms have shied away from this space, because they will be at the core regulated, then they're delegating to you know, uh, parties that have not got a, a full regulatory status that creates a risk in an organization. So being regulated and being held accountable to a national and competent authority in the European Union, I think is a very important a, uh, assurance point that we have for the underlying managers who consider it. And that's why even now I can see this moving more and more into the mainstream. 
There is also the other side, why it didn't happen uh, before, is that people tended to have it in-house, and like, that's a very big cost to have in-house. And the reality of it is, is that like, you know, if you have a private markets uh, strategy, it's in market, it's out of market then for two years or three years. So what do you do with that time period with your sales teams? Then you have to find other product to fill it with. The reality of it is, is that you may compromise on the products that you're actually trying to fill it with in those intervening times, because like, you know, nobody can be good at everything. What we hope to do is try and find managers which will fill the space for us, who we think we would be proud to represent, and not that we will always get it right in every manager. There's no doubt about that. Like, you know, everyone will have uh, compromise moments in this. But the reality of it is, is that you try and actually deliver in the long term a, an array of managers. Again, back to that point, who you fundamentally feel that you're proud of in terms of the story they're telling, the deliverable they have, and how they actually support what you're trying to do as a brand. Yeah, and of course, raising capital into a fund is the lifeblood. Indeed. Uh, regardless of what the strategy yeah. is or how meritorious it is or otherwise. Yeah. So yeah. having professionals on board to yeah. lead that uh, exercise, yeah. critical really. Building re experienced relationship alpha in an organization, I think is incredibly important. People who have gained the respect through their careers out there in the marketplace, who have the opportunity to get that audience for a manager who ordinarily would not get that audience. Uh, just because of the methodology of screening and such that is out there rightly in the market because there's a volume of managers and allocators can't look at every single manager who just sends them a, a cold email. Uh, so having somebody who has the credibility to say, look, I'm from a reputational perspective, I'm very proud of this manager's part of the, my, the company that I have joined is uh, actually, I think, a, a solid endorsement to at least begin that initial stage of conversation and hopefully see it progress to a, uh, a positive outcome. So as we wrap up, Paul, it sounds like you're going to be a busy boy in 2023. Indeed. Uh, and uh, I suspect uh, 20, uh, 2023 is beginning to you know, loosen up in terms of people's willingness to hear about this and to hear about the stories around, around that one can share around where the uh, sustainability uh, agenda could go in the next few years and uh, yeah we're, we're super excited and looking forward to uh, how the next year pans out and the years to come well we will watch with interest and wish you all the best Thank thanks you. very much paul for thanks joining for us this me. episode it. of the Acrest podcast cheers the Acrest podcast funds industry conversations